Hi, and welcome to episode 199 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Sydney and Victor Avis joining us. Sydney is a 30-year-old graduate of the University of Colorado at Boulder. A lifetime athlete, Sydney was diagnosed as a child with asthma and battled through sporting events in life with grit and an inhaler. Fatigue and exhaustion were her constant companions, and she was unaware until 2016 that there might be a solution. After multiple courses of orthodontic treatment, which never addressed her airway, Sydney sought answers through a healthy lifestyle and self-education. Still battling anxiety, fatigue, and metabolic issues, Sydney and her father brought together a team of airway experts to solve her problem. This is a multidisciplinary approach the Airway Revolution Foundation hopes to inspire everywhere. In 2017, Sydney agreed with her father that they might help others by prospectively filming her journey. Dr. Victor Avis, a graduate of Duke University and Georgetown University Dental School, is a third-generation practitioner of general dentistry in Staten Island, New York. Married and the father of three daughters, Victor has prided his family in excellence in dentistry throughout his adult life. On his journey towards excellence, Victor developed a vision for his practice, the Avis Alternative, which would help and inspire his patients along their personal journey to health and wellness. During his career, Dr. Avis became keenly aware of the connection between dental health and overall well-being. He's enjoyed a significant inter-office collaboration with preventative cardiology specialist Dr. Gina Pritchard and has embraced the critically important role that dentistry plays in the prevention of heart attacks, stroke, and diabetes. Broadening his training, Dr. Avis returned to school in 2008 to learn orthodontics. While learning conventional orthodontic paradigms and techniques, he had questions which led to his studying with the -the out-of-the-box thinkers in dentistry, orthodontics, myofunctional therapy, ENT, and a multitude of other medical and dental disciplines. Understanding the airway, breathing, and sleep connection, Dr. Avis finally discerned the root cause of Sydney's health challenges. Those health challenges had come to include anxiety, hypothyroidism, learning and cognitive issues, mood swings, fatigue, and exhaustion. Dr. Avis realized Sydney's obstructive airway disorders were not outwardly obvious or recognizable. By telling Sydney's story, many people who are suffering silently or being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed could be helped. Dr. Avis, Sydney, and film producers and director Orly and Ed Weissman are putting together an airway documentary that you'll learn about in this episode. Dr. Avis, a leader and participant on numerous not-for-profit boards and child of philanthropic-minded family, decided that he, Sydney, and their talented producer and director could do more. Thus, the vision and mission for the Airway Revolution Foundation was born. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hey, SLPs and OTs, if you're listening to this the week of January 23rd through 27th, join me live for a free five-day training to screening your first pediatric feeding patient. You will earn five hours on a certificate of completion just for participating with me live. And yes, there will be some recordings for you. Those of you who can't make it live, they'll be up for one week only though. Um, We'll Learn how to use a screener checklist and milestone chart. You'll watch me screen my two-year-old, and then together we're going to screen my four-year-old. We're going to use the four-year-old's case over the course of the week to discover how to make sense of the screening results, make next step recommendations and referrals, and ultimately learn the fastest way to launch yourself into assessing and treating pediatric feeding cases after a screening is complete. So go to feedthepeds.com backslash training and join me this week. Cannot wait to see you in there. Victor and Sydney, welcome to the Untethered Podcast. Thanks, Hallie. Happy Great to be, to be there. there, Hallie. So I know that you want to start this episode with sharing a video, and we will do. We're going to do that, and then we're going to jump into our conversation. So for anybody who 
is not watching on YouTube, you can listen. If anybody wants to see the video, they'll be able to see this on YouTube. And I know we can we can also link it to your original YouTube video as well if they just wanna, they want the snippet. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and play that. As long as I can remember, I didn't, I didn't feel like myself. I was exhausted all the time. Sorry. Okay. This is the 19 to 29 year old. They are suffering, they are suffering distinctly from major health issues, from airway and sleep disorders. I don't have a moment in time where I started feeling terrible and we had to do something about it. I felt like this my whole life. I had nothing to compare it to. This was just what life was. I was tired, I was lethargic, I was cranky. Um, but I, I, I felt like there was more inside me that I just could not present to the world. I couldn't release it because it was just stuck. We talk about sleep, we talk about airway, but no one has been able to put all of this together or close the loop on what is needed. We know an obstructed airway can lead to cardiovascular disease, um, can lead to issues with cognition, jaw performance, uh, overall happiness, quality of life. And when you're looking at the airway, it is a highly complex problem. I don't think there's a single person that has the arms around it to the extent that you can say, I have the answers. And for the record, my numbers did not scream she has an airway disorder, that there's something wrong with her. Continuously, I was told it's mild, if anything, she should be fine. It's not just overweight 50 year old, but it's your old man, right? It affects everybody. There are a lot of other populations, like young, thin uh, women who also have these issues, but present very differently. I know of many people who have been in a similar situation to, to Sydney, who have been seeking different professionals and have not obtained answers. I, I think this condition is it's epidemic. Um, it, it, you can imagine almost everyone these days need braces, right? And the reason why you need braces is because your jaws are too small to hold all your teeth. There's evidence starting about 15 years ago that the severity of cardiac disease is worsened in those people with, with inadequate airways. This is a huge issue for so many people. They don't even know what to look for. They don't even know that this exists. It's like the diabetes that you don't see the numbers that you're bypassing. It's like the harm for hypertension that you're not feeling, but it could cause your stroke or heart attack coming up. So it does cause severe stroke or heart attack also. Struggling, working so hard and never getting the grades and just being told to work harder and believing that I was stupid my entire life, you know? So even physically what it can do to a person, but mentally, emotionally, um, it's confidence, you know, it's a huge, it can be, a, it is a huge issue for so many people, so. There's millions of Sydney's out there, millions. That's why we're doing this piece, right? That's why we're telling the story because Sydney is not alone. Mm -hmm. You look at skulls before the Industrial Revolution, they all have straight teeth, erupted wisdom teeth, high cheekbones, everything's forward, flat palates, huge bony airways. They didn't have grains, they didn't have carbs, they exercised a lot, there were no pollutants, they ate hard foods, their jaws were huge. 
they had room for five or six millimeters behind their wisdom teeth. Today, me, my kids, our jaws are shrinking. Every generation, the jaws get a little smaller and the face gets smushed in. The sinuses get smaller. The nose gets smaller. The jaw gets pushed back. And what happens? That closes the airway. Even in utero, the jaws look like we've treated them with, you know, non-retractive orthodontal facial orthopedics. Every single one of these forms uh, that we have from these archaeological sites, none of them have malocclusion. None of them. I mean, they have perfectly intermeshed teeth. And that means that their jaws and their faces were really well-developed, and that means their airway was well-developed. Sid had traditional orthodontics with someone who's done their best, taught to do what they were taught to do. But what did she have? Straight teeth and a face that's down and back. When I was in medical school, um, teachers there would tell us, listen, we have all these great books and resources for you guys, but half of what's in these books is going to be outdated within five years. I, I learned nothing about this in medical school. I learned nothing about it in dental school. Um, you know, we can go on for days talking about these these issues. Even when I was learning in graduate school, I did not learn anything about the way that the face grows in a dynamic way in relation to the function of our tongue and teeth and jaw and all of the articulators and then how that affects airway. I am standing here 140 years later and I'm in complete disbelief that as a medical community, we really are just truly getting around to this now. I started to realize that this is a unique opportunity for our college to get involved in. Having Columbia University behind what we are doing is going to deliver a very impactful message and, and, and hopefully a life-changing opportunity for many people like Sydney. Airway for us is, is just the next thing, the next frontier to actually move into what we're doing educationally, we're doing research-wise, and what we really need to bring to the community that comes in here. They have agreed to transform education in both the dental school and medical school, meaning teach airway as a core part of their curriculum. I worked with the dean of the medical school in bringing us to the point where we are today. And he told me, Christian, I would like you to start it. I know that you will bring the people to the table that advance the science. And we're going to establish the premier center for collaborative treatment of airway disorders at that university. The incredible vision that Dean Soler has to really open his arms and open the doors to do something that no one has ever done will make Colombia not only the most desirable place to be in, but the place that sets the standards for new ways to educate, new ways to teach, new ways to learn. We need to educate by trying to bring in the medical community together with the dental community. The public is, is, is looking for a solution. They realize that people haven't had the answers 
And now to get someone in academia to understand that and realize that the public is clamoring for this. Well, hello. Columbia has made huge investments in precision medicine and has made equally strong investments in data science. These are frontiers that allow us to decipher complexity. You were never able to do this before. He understands that you need data and you need lots of data and you need to analyze them very carefully because most of the work that, that is being quoted loosely is simply not based on any large amount of data. One of the difficult aspects of this whole topic is that there's so little research about it. And the medical field is very um, wary of suggesting something that doesn't have any actual randomized controlled studies. We would like to listen to anything that is out there, look to see what the community uh, orthodontists, pediatric dentists, general dentists know about obstructive sleep apnea and the airway and what they do about it. Not just what is in the confines of a university. And that will provide us with information that may be able to put us in a direction of what we need to do educationally for teaching not just those who are still in school, but those who've been out of school for a while. There are a lot of professionals out there that still have to seek more education. There needs to be a real meeting of the minds between dentistry and medicine. Bridging the gap, both medicine and dentistry, and creating an environment that somewhere touches this side and touches this side, but works cohesively together. I'm very glad that we're there in terms of bringing uh, this awareness to the masses. I believe that the future is absolutely bright for those people who understand that. And we're trying to educate people, make them more aware and tell them that there's a hope, that there's an answer out there. You know, I believe everything happens for a reason and I'm on this journey and, you know, I'm doing now what I'm supposed to be doing, but... <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you look back and think if someone was able to identify this earlier for me, what what would my life have looked like? Okay, well, that was, I'm going to stop sharing. If anybody's watching on YouTube, then now you can see us again. Um, but that's, I think it's an incredible video that you all have put together. And I know that was done. When, when was that made? Well, we had a leadership meeting in July because of the pandemic. It was the first time we could bring together our board, advisory board, and Columbia University partners in one room. And so we held it at the University Club in Midtown Manhattan. And uh, so our producer and director made that just for that occasion because everybody had heard about us having these, the, 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 uh, in partnership with Columbia, but nobody knew it wasn't real. Nobody had met everybody. So uh, we put everybody in the room and, and we start so everybody could see that there was, um, you know, a real honesty about um, everybody's position to make a difference in this space. I love it. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And Sydney, you know, I think um, we can jump into a bit about your story. I know you, you touched on it in that video, but I would love to hear more especially being an adult who's had a very similar story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always say my story, I'm 30, and it started about 30 years ago. Um, you know, there was never a time in my life that I felt great, but I also didn't know anything different. So it wasn't, you know, on one Tuesday, I started feeling this way. It just kind of always was. Um, I think being born into a house with a black lab that I was severely allergic to did not help the case. Um, you know, I struggled with allergies my whole life. Um, I was exhausted. You know, I would go to bed early and wake up and my dad every day would say, how are you feeling? And I'd say, tired. I don't know. I have to go to bed earlier, I guess, you know, but I was sleeping a lot, just not getting good sleep. Um, I was cranky. Ask anyone. I was not that fun to be around because who wants to be around this moody chick all the time? Uh, I had swollen eyes. I kind of looked like I always got <laughs> punched or something. Um, I was diagnosed with asthma. I had terrible allergies to the dog and beyond. Um, and then in high school, things started to kind of ramp up where I had, uh, I was first realizing how hard school was for me. And I worked really hard and I would go to extra help and I would study and I would take notes and then rewrite the notes. And I, my grades would not reflect how hard I worked. I tried everything. I would sleep with the notes under my pillow, hoping that they would soak into my brain. Um, it was so frustrating. And I always just felt like giving up because I'd see my other friends study, take the test, do fine. And I was constantly studying, working so hard and just not getting the grades and being told, you just need to work harder or you need to drop down to this level. Um, and like I said in the video, really feeling like I was stupid and feeling like I was less than because I just couldn't get it. And I didn't know why I couldn't get it. Um, and then things continued to escal escalate. And I had my first full on panic attack at my senior prom, which is always fun to do in front of a whole room of people. Um, so that, and I didn't know what a panic attack was or what anxiety was. It wasn't talked about, you know, as freely as it is now. So I just kind of thought I was dying, which enhanced uh, the anxiety. Um, and then flashed to about a year later, I was traveling in Thailand with severe anxiety, but not knowing what it was. And my dad got a call at, I don't know what time it was here, that I was in the hospital. Getting about two or three in the morning. Mm -hmm. That somebody, I was a brain scan. Yeah, go ahead, Dad, you say. Yeah, from somebody, a doctor who didn't speak English well, telling me my daughter was in the hospital in Thailand and that they, uh, could I, is it approved to do a CAT scan of her brain? So um, I was like, Whoa, what's happening? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I did that. Nothing was wrong with me. You're fine. You know, it just continued on. Um, I came home from Thailand a little bit earlier than planned. And then uh, I got diagnosed with uh, hypothyroidism and mono at the same time and anxiety. <laughs> So a lot that I was dealing with and that was, it just kept going, you know, then after my year abroad, I went to college and 
had anxiety, had a little depression, had to go off my asthma meds that I had been put on, you know? So it was just this constant of, well, what's wrong with her now? Let's fix that little part. And now something else pops up. Let's take care of that. Oh, here's a new side effect or something else that's going on. And I'm so lucky that I had my dad, who's a forever learner and a dentist. And he was like, no, something's going on. She's a healthy young person. Why do all these things keep happening? And then dad, why don't you talk just a little bit about how you started to identify or at least think that you had an idea of what was going on? Yeah, well, Sydney then even pursued further. After college, she became a health coach, a certified health coach. She studied yoga in India, became a yoga teacher. She would meditate and she was my health coach. And so she became profoundly, you know, if you think of what's regarded as the four pillars of health, which is, you know, exercise, nutrition, stress management and sleep. On three out of the four, she was hitting it out of the park. I mean, she was working so hard and really fit and and yet feeling so poorly. And she studied Ayurvedic and she had an Ayurvedic doctor. We have a naturopath that's even in my office one day a week, Dr. Christine. And they were all trying to, how can we get Sydney feeling better? Sydney doesn't even mention that her digestion was so bad. She would get bloated after meals. And she was, again, a healthy vegan. And so uh, along around the time, back in 2008, I went back to school for orthodontics, only because it always bothered me. It was like a black box. They really didn't want a general dentist to understand the ortho. And so I was frustrated. I was somebody that was always interested in how teeth met occlusion. And, and so I went back to ortho. And I no sooner finished a traditional two-year program, I would go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, that a, a colleague, a mentor of mine in gold dentistry, gold inlays and gold foil, said, have you heard of this guy, John Mew? And I said, no. And I looked him up on YouTube and I watched him. And then I ordered a chapter of his book, which was for free. And I said, oh, my God, if he's right, these two kids that I have in cervical headgear, it's a 100% wrong thing. I couldn't get out of my mind. Within two weeks, I was in England, and I was studying with John and Michael Mew, and I took my lab technician, who is, was uh, 10 years older than I. We, I mean, he's been with me my whole life, and, and he's, a, he's a brilliant, and he's a skeptic. And he said, sure, I'll come along. And we spent a week there. It was probably a three-day course. It was only... Paul and I and two others in the course. And then we went back two more times over six months and each time spent close to a week in the clinic. And I recognized stuff I'd never heard of, you know, picked up a book, you know, close your mouth. And what is this all about? Nasal breathing. I've never heard any of it. But on my return, I started to see in Sydney, oh my goodness, you know, Sydney did mention she started orthodontics, not with me. I wasn't doing ortho at the time. At age eight, she had palatal expansion. She had then orthodontics. Then she had a second round of orthodontics with another orthodontist. I took her to Madison Avenue, Manhattan. You know, I wanted her to have the best. And no sooner as she finished that, he put her in Invisalign because she was already relapsing, even though nobody's the better retainer wearer than Sydney. And so I started to all of a sudden say, oh, my goodness, this is a breathing airway issue. There had been no, again, I am, I'm critical of myself because I'm a dentist and, and I didn't recognize it. And, and it's part of what stimulates what we're doing because 
uh, it needs to be different for the Victor and Sydney's of the future. And if we don't train Victor's better, it's not going to be different. But um, I, 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 uh, the, the orthodontist never spoke to Sydney about an airway disorder, about a connection between her hypothyroidism and why she has crooked teeth. Um, there was no discussion about myofunctional therapy was never suggested, never recommended. And, and, and we know Maya was around, you know, uh, 15 years ago. So, um, and again, I'm not in, you know, Podunk, USA. We're in New York City and, and we were seeking out the best. So with that, I said, Sydney, I think you have something going on with respect to your airway. I presented her case at a meeting. Uh, Bill Hang's been a mentor of mine for many years. And I, I even learned orthotropics with Mew and then with Hang. Uh, I did orthotropics for almost 13 years. It is a very difficult, uh, because there's so much behavioral modification involved. But um, Bill looked one, took one look at the case and he, he said, you know what I'm gonna say? And I said, you're gonna say she needs surgery? And he said, yes. So I came back from this meeting and Sydney said, well, what did Dr. Hang say? And I said, said, I thought she'd be terribly disappointed. I said, he, he says you need surgery. And she said, well, let's do it. And I said, really? She said, yeah, I'm sick and tired of feeling this way. And I said, well, hold on. I said, we can't just do it. We need to do sleep studies. We need to do diagnostics. You know, I have to be responsible that, you know, that we're doing the right thing. And that if we do that, that it's going to have a positive impact. So uh, that was, and that same at that same conversation, as I saw Sydney was all game, I said, said, well, Sydney, maybe we should film this. And she said, why? And I said, well, most people think of sleep disorders as, you know, overweight 50-year-old men. And here you are, a yoga teacher, a healthy vegan, you exercise, you study meditation. I said, you're kind of knocking it out of the park on three out of the four. If you fix your sleep and you get better, it kind of says, hey, sleep has a big impact. And I'm thinking of my iPhone. I'm thinking we're going to film this on my iPhone. And Sydney, what did you say to me, Sid? So my dad said, well, let's just shoot it on our iPhone. And I said, and do what with it? Just for us to watch over and over again? <laughs> um, Bad idea. And dad doesn't even know how to use his camera on his phone. So there was just no shot of anything <laughs> happening. <laughs> um so we called our friends, Ed and Orly Wiseman, and they are documentarians and not just any documentarians. They're the real deal. They've won 17 Emmy Awards. Wow. So we called them and just talked a little bit about what we were thinking. And they said, sure, let's do it. Why not? Really, they didn't know anything about it. And they were kind of like, Sydney sick? I didn't, you know, like, what are they talking about? She needs surgery? They're crazy. Um, and now it's been six years and we've been filming my journey, but it's gone so beyond that. You know, it started following me and it's turned, it has turned into flying around the country and meeting with, you know, the best, the best doctors, uh, people who are struggling with this. Um, every time we speak to someone, we learn something new and it brings us to another path. So we're just learning and filming and, um, coming to the end and hopefully, you know, it's going to be ready for release in 2024, but that is what started us on the project. Um, from there, you know, once we were meeting with all these different people, 
we realized that if we create this documentary and airway disorders, it affects so many people and so many people don't even know that it's affecting them. So if we open this can of worms for people and they say, okay, I think that is me. What do I do now? Where do I go? Okay, well, now we have a problem. So we realized we needed to do more. And we started the nonprofit, the Airway Revolution Foundation. Um, so that's that's what we're doing right now. Um, I'm the executive director of the nonprofit. And as we were meeting with people, uh, Dr. Hang was actually the one, you know, we said, if we want to make a difference, what do we need to do? And he said, unless you have a university behind you, nothing's going to get done. So somehow we have uh, partnered with Columbia University in New York City. And with them, we plan to uh, open a comprehensive center for airway disorders where it's no longer going to be a siloed treatment, but ENTs, dentists, neurologists, whoever needs to be involved is involved helping each patient with their case because it's so individualized. Everyone is so different. It's, and that's what's been so hard because it's not if you have A, do B. I mean, it's great. We're going to open a place for people to go and get the treatment they need. But there's so many people who need treatment, who need help. And how can we prevent this? So we're also working with Columbia to change the curriculum in their dental and medical schools to make airway a huge part of it. Because if we can train our upcoming dentists and physicians, it's going to change the way that we talk about it, the way people are diagnosed, treated, um, you know, with more education, there can be prevention, um, you know, reaching kids at an earlier age. So that's what we're doing with Columbia, create, <clears throat> excuse me, creating awareness with the documentary working with Columbia. And then the third piece, uh, we are working on an advocacy piece. Dad, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, Dean Stoller at, at Columbia um, came to us and said, as much as we want to launch the, the, the Center for Airway Disorders at Columbia, which is predicated on a significant gift that our not-for-profit will make to Columbia. Um, he said what we need is, um, in his words, an, an NIH pipeline. In other words, he wants us to create, um, to go to Congress, have a congressional hearing, and that congressional hearing leads to NIH saying there needs to be more money awarded for airway disorder research. And that money would go to every every and any university that wants to write for a grant. So it's not Columbia centric. We want every, every dental medical school, speech language program, nursing, we want them all to say, oh my goodness, there's, you know, $500 million available. There's $100 million available for research. The NIH budget this year was $42 billion. So that's really that advocacy group is establishing with others. So, Hallie, we really see ourselves as wanting to make alliances with Hallie and your group, your following, uh, Renata and Airway Circle and her following, um, you name it, Howie Hinden. 
And so all of these different groups are, are groups that we want to be allies to because what we really, we're not doing education. We're not educating professionals. We're not even trying to educate lay people. We're going to create an awareness, but they need to go then. Now all of a sudden a myofunctional therapist sees this or a speech linguist and says, oh, I need to go for training. Where do they go? They go to Halley. Or I'm a dentist and I need to pursue more education. They go see Bill Hang or Ben Miraglia. And so we need all those because we're not doing that. What we're doing is creating on a, on a massive basis through a, a documentary series. So it won't be a one-off, it'll be a series, a great awareness. And then with Columbia, we have the gravitas as long as we get a buy-in from all of you all to be, be, create this grassroots movement, which shares the story of tens of thousands of people, so that when we go to Congress and the Congress people that sit on that committee says, oh my goodness, I have you know, 5,000 people in my constituency that have joined this movement. And then we have plenty of experts. How you've interviewed most of them. We're not gonna be the people that it's testified before Congress. They don't want somebody to share. They might have two or three people that want to share their emotional stories. And maybe it's it's Candy's daughter that shares her story. Or maybe it's a Sydney. It doesn't. But then we'll need the experts. And, and so that's what this is about. Once we create that NIH funding, now all the universities, because that's what's going to move them. Money is going to move them. Now they're involved. And then that'll lead to a change in curriculum. I don't think you're changing curriculum I could give them $10 million, they're not changing curriculum. But if we if there's a year after year money from NIH for airway disorders, UCLA will be involved, Michigan will be involved, Florida will be involved, Columbia will be involved, and that's the competitive environment we need to change it. And when the universities are involved, then outliers like Hallie Bolkin and Victor Avis and Bill Hang and Reza Overhead, who are doing things that nobody else are doing, now, all of a sudden, they become, instead of outliers, leaders. And now people are clamoring for the education. And that's what we're doing. So we, we see ourselves as, a, as an igniter. Um, and this is a give back. This is, not, um, this is not to build my personal practice. And quite honestly, by the time this film comes out, I need to be out of practice because I couldn't deal with what would happen. And I'm not pre prepared to deal with it. Um, this is about... Um, to whom much is given, much is expected. And Sydney, who was willing to share her story publicly, have cameras in her face, you know, right after surgery. It would have been in her face during surgery, except for the fact that it was during COVID. But I mean, she shares, you know, the innermost parts of, of her story. And the filmmakers, they are autonomous. I mean, we, we make the connection. We've helped to educate them about what airway disorders are, but they have total control over the film. We're, we're not going to be the editors. We're not going to say this or that. Um, but, but, but they own it now, Ed and Orly. You know, they, they know more about airway than, than most dentists do. So. Well, that's, that's incredible. I'm sitting over here just nodding my head the whole time while you're both speaking because, you know, as 
the patient as the mom of the little kids who I now have been able to do the early intervention with the early expansion, you know, and all the things. Mayo, um, as a speech pathologist who didn't get any of this in my graduate program and who had to seek it all out myself and just, you know, fell down that whole rabbit hole of continuing ed. They say Mayo will be required in speech pathology programs within so many years. And I think we should be coming up on that, but who knows with the pandemic where we're at with that. Um, but I think this is, I, I truly think this is incredible. I used to live um, up until August of 2021. I lived in downtown Bethesda in Maryland, right across from NIH and Walter Reed. And I developed a really good relationship with um, the speech pathology department at Walter Reed. And they do, a, they do research. And we were trying to figure out a way that we could even do some of the research together. But, you know, time, money, yeah. you know, so I, I love what you're putting behind what you're doing with your foundation, because you're the guidance you've received from experience that I've seen is absolutely right. You've got to get universities behind this. And I think this is exciting and incredible. And, you know, I'd love to be even a small part of it. Um, so, so tell us, you know, if individuals are like, oh my gosh, how do I get involved in this? How do I, you know, what are next steps for the foundation? Share with us, you know, what does that look like? So the best way right now that people can uh, get involved is to add their voice. So on our website right now, we have, you know, a, a menu item, add your voice, and you can go in and fill out a short survey. You know, you can just check the boxes. You can add more if you want. You can even upload a video or a picture. It's all, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, but share how you've been impacted by airway disorders. And the thing is, you know, we put a little disclaimer on top that even if you have not been diagnosed or you're not sure if you fit in to this category, you know, look at kind of the examples that we give. Someone who's mouth breathing, someone who snores, someone who has learning challenges or weight problems. You know, it's an endless list that the root cause could be an airway disorder. So we encourage, we ask for people to go in, share their story, add their voice to the revolution. And this is going to help us as we move forward to that congressional piece, to that NIH piece. Because that's the that's the, the wisdom from, from Dean Stoller is we need to have 20 to 30,000 of, of these. Mm -hmm. And... Um, um, and so some, some of the groups have collected stories along the line. A couple of them that I spoke to have already said they would share them with us. And so, um, but right now, if, if anybody listening to this just goes to our website and takes the survey, it can literally take you a minute. And, um, and the website is airwayrevolution.org. Just well, yeah, we'll make sure that's also in the show notes. And, you know, this goes out to my my whole email list. And I think we're around, I don't know, 60, 70,000 people on my email list. So you're going to, you know, I can't promise 30,000, but maybe you'll get a couple thousand. Uh, we'll see what happens. Well, obviously, put it everywhere. And it's a short survey, everyone. It does not take a long time. So you can do it in five minutes. You can do it in less than five minutes. And, so, and it could be, to just one other point, it can, doesn't need to be about them. It could be about their father, their mother, their child. And that's why, Hallie, I know you, you're singing the same song. It affects every family. You know, we don't have um, we don't have good studies about prevalence. We don't have good studies about prevalence in children. We don't have good prevalence studies overall because when you use airway disorders, you have studies that look at obstructive sleep apnea, but that doesn't include 
others like upper airway resistance syndrome or narcolepsy. And so there's not a study that's including, and most all the studies exclude a huge portion of the population that doesn't have access to care. It doesn't go to the dentist before age six. It maybe doesn't go to the dentist, but for emergency care, much less have a physician. So the, you know, whether the number is 30% or 50%, I believe it affects almost every family because if it's not affecting you or your spouse, it's likely affecting one of your children or one of your parents. And, and they may not know about it, but they had a heart attack or a stroke or they have diabetes or they have dementia. And, and who knows that maybe they've never been diagnosed. And so everybody should take the survey because quite honestly, it's affecting their lives. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. Well, and, and Sydney, you talk about all these symptoms that snowball over time. Right. right. And, you know, that's something that we see so consistently, regardless if we're working with pediatrics or we're treating adults, because we don't do a lot with adults in my private practice, but we do work with myo with myo cases, adult, you know, across the lifespan. And I will tell you, I mean, it's, it's the same story repeatedly where we get individuals in their thirties, their forties, we've got older, we've got younger, but a lot of times are young parents. They have been to 15 specialists. Uh, they have a diagnosis of PTSD or some other type of psychological, you know, diagnosis that's been attached to them. And we have grown men sitting in front of us, bawling their eyes out because we're finally telling them, well, we can help you. And they're like, what? Like what? And we start talking about all of these, well, this symptom sounds like it might be attached to this. And this sounds like that maybe came from that. And we start to put the pieces of the puzzle together and it's really incredible just to see them light up with hope again, because they're finally realizing, wait, hold on. <laughs> I just, I was told to come see you. I just thought this was going to be another, you know, evaluation or visit, like all these other ones I've done. And we spend time with them and we talk about the options and we talk about the other specialists we want to help, you know, connect them with. Um, and it's, you know, it's very self-serving and that it's very rewarding work, obviously, but also we're, we're helping the patients. And I think what you all are doing is going to exponentially increase that significantly, which I can completely understand why you want to be out of, you know, be in retirement by that point, Victor, because I think it's going to totally blow up in a good way. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is really incredible because we also know that finding the professionals that are truly trained in this arena and that do work together, it can also be very challenging depending on where you live and who you're currently talking to or your, who your current providers are. Um, so I commend you all because this is like, this is just, it's amazing. It's incredible. Well, thanks, Hallie. I just a couple of things I want to add to that. Yeah. So the challenging piece is true because if there's a, if there's a general dentist that's not extracting teeth, but in his community, he has orthodontists that are. It creates uh, an un, at the least an unnecessary, uncomfortable piece. And, and this shouldn't even be a discussion any longer, but there's not a dental school orthodontic program in the United States, to my knowledge and that of Bill Hangs and others that I know of that is categorically saying, you know, we would no longer teach the extraction of teeth. And so, you know, even that, which is so um, basic to you, Hallie, that of course that should never be done. This is not an agreed upon piece. And so in the little circle of airway minded people, it's obvious, but in the greater medical and dental and speech and language and physical therapy communities, 
Uh, this is not this is not even a consideration. You know, orthodontics is still for most just about creating straight teeth and, and that they don't believe by and large that they can impact people's health. And um, that has been told to me by a head of a department. So uh, we have work to do. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're poised. This is, uh, this is our life's work to put, to make this happen. Um, the other piece that we didn't mention that we think is critical is, and this is not Sydney's story. It started off by telling Sydney's story, but uh, it's very important um, that we recognize this is a story that doesn't know age, it doesn't know gender, it doesn't know race, it doesn't know socioeconomic boundaries. And so many people don't have access to care. Part of our, our work is uh, it'll start as a million dollar endowment to provide uh, care to those who, who wouldn't have access. Columbia University happens to be in a great position for that. They're in a very low socioeconomic area of New York City. Um, a lot of their patients are, are from that background and they, they embrace that possibility. What that'll look like, it'll probably be some community health preventative, certainly trying to impact uh, mothers so that children are screened earlier and get early access to care because that's when we can have the greatest impact and the greatest bang for your buck, not doing orthognathic surgery. And, and again, this is not a story about orthognathic surgery. It happened to be where Sydney, unfortunately, had to end up for a solution. But it's, a, it's, it's how do you prevent that? And also to know for those people who are failing with CPAP, there are other things. And, and, and so it could be CPAP, it could be Inspire, it could be mandibular advancement devices, it could be myofunctional therapy and nasal surgery. And that's the piece. It's, it's unfortunately very individual. And I, I listened to your story. And if you could have unlocked it with one procedure, Hallie, you would have done it. You would have just, why don't you just go do this? And it's because you didn't know, maybe the, the expander would have done it. But it didn't quite do it. So then you worked and did the nose. And now you hope you'll retest. And that's the piece. It's, a, it's, it's for most adults. It's a process of peeling away the onion, trying the simplest things first, measuring to see if it's had the impact, and if not, going a step further. And, and that's why it's not an easy. I'd like to say treating airway disorders on adults is easy. It is not because it takes um, trial, measurement and then retweaking and, st and, 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 and staying with that person in that relationship until you, you come to where you're managing it better. For children, I think we've got a much better idea on, not that it's easy, but, but how we could really solve it early on, at least anatomically. Um, we still have environmental factors which are challenging and soft foods and, and, and you know, both parents having to work, so breastfeeding is more difficult. I mean, there's cultural challenges that are going to, you know, make uh, the need for our services are, are not going to be short-lived. But um, anyway, so that the access to care is huge and recognizing this is not Sydney's story or Victor and Sydney's story. This is a story about airway. It'll tell the story of, of with, with, with a great um, mindset towards how it affects diverse people.
And then that's even more incredible. I mean, that's, I was watching a show on Netflix about a hospital in New York that I think it's based on a true story where the medical director comes in and flips everything upside down, but it's all about patient care. And I, I can't stop watching it because it's just that whole concept of patient first, like we're going to make this work. They say, no, we'll figure out another way. And, and that sounds a lot like what you all are doing. You're really making this accessible by, you know, bringing this, um, this possibility, bringing the foundation forward. And that's another one of those big conversations we have frequently. What about the patients who cannot afford these services? What about the patients who want them? They're informed, but they're not getting them because time, location, money, you know, all variables. Um, so I think that's, again, incredible. I love what you're doing. You also mentioned early, you know, intervention, that piece and screening and, that was another thing that even my field, I felt like was a, we talk about screenings, but they're so highly focused on speech and language. I was never taught pediatric feeding at all. And of course, I only, they only focused on um, adult dysphagia, adult swallowing issues in my master's program. And I had an incredible um, teacher. She took us to the radiology floor at NIH and was like a whole really interesting experience because she ran that, that floor and she was an SLP, but also a surgeon. And so I had a really incredible introduction to that, but nothing on pediatrics. And so coming out of school and everything being so highly focused on speech and language, I was sitting here going, well, what about the kids that aren't eating? Like you guys just put me in a classroom with kids who are on feeding tubes or who have 24 hour nursing care with them at school and they're pouring their feeds down their throat. And it just, it got my wheels turning and fast forward now, you know, so many years when I initially launched my own feeding course, the thing that I looked back at, I said, what is the easiest entry point for clinicians to even just step into this? Because I think it can be intimidating from a medical standpoint. And I said, I don't think they even know how to screen to determine if they need a feeding evaluation. And so I, we created, my team and I created a pediatric feeding screener and I started encouraging everybody to, you know, give it whenever you do a PT, OT, SLP screening on a child, I don't care how old they are, you need to do this. They, the kid can have a snack and in two to three minutes, you can check some boxes and you'll know if they need a referral. And then that one, I ended up doing making a Mayo one too, but that pediatric one was enough to know if we have concerns about dental concerns, if we've got airway concerns, you know, dental being malocclusion, asymmetry, what are we seeing immediately on the face? How are they chewing their food? Can they, are they using both sides of their mouth? What is their tongue doing? And in a matter of two minutes, we had answers just to know if we need to take this a bit further, you know, do we have concerns about tethered oral tissues, which is the big debate in my field, Um, not enough research and this big split down the middle there, but it's been really incredible because I've now had teachers come forward and other individuals who said, Hey, can I, can I use the screening? And I said, well, you're not assessing or diagnosing. If you're just screening to figure out if you are referring onto someone else, please take it. Um, and now every time I launch the course, I do a free five-day training where they join me for about an hour each day, just teaching them and encouraging them to go out there and use a screener while I start to, you know, implement some of the airway and tethered oral tissue stuff into it, because no one, no one was talking about this back in 2019. And that's not that long ago. Why, you know, why was this getting missed on our birth to three patients on our birth to five kiddos? Um, so yes, I am 100% with you on early intervention. We can obviously treat across the lifespan, um, but what can we do preventatively and, or 
with these babies who are born with these issues. We know the tongue develops 12 and a half weeks in utero. They're swallowing with the swallow they're going to be born with. They're coming out of the womb with that swallow. There's already a functional impact. Why are we not screening at birth? Why are we not, you know, jumping in then to then prevent the snowball of issues that turned into my story, Sydney's story. And I'm sure 30,000 plus other stories and, and, you know, that you're going to have shared through your foundation. So I, I love this. I love everything that you're doing. I'm going to share it. We're going to shout it from the rooftops. We're going to plug it all over the place. So, and I hope you guys get a lot of um, voices shared about their journey, their family members' journeys. And I hope a lot of people forward it to their their patients to fill out as well. Well, thanks, Hallie. And, and uh, we just lo- love the opportunity to work synergistically with, with, with you and people like you and, uh, and, and, you know, be happy to come back in a year and kind of let you know what our progress is. And, uh, and, and I think it's uh, the screening piece is so interesting because there again, it creates a new bottleneck because we need the screening. And, and my other, one of my other two daughters, Samantha is a second grade teacher. And, uh, and so it's so interesting. So when Samantha knows a lot about airway disorders and it's interesting, so she sees things, you know, whether a child is tired or having cognitive issues it's not a safe environment for her to suggest it because if the parents can go to their dentist, likely the dentist is going to say, what are they talking about? What do they know? Your second grade teacher. But there's going to come a time, Hallie, where these screening tools in the hands of a second grade teacher are going to result in, by and large, her being able to go down the street to the dentist or the physician, the pediatrician, and they're going to say, spot on because they will have learned it. And that's where, that's where it's going to go. So the two ends have to meet. The screening has to be, you know, raised, but the level of care, we need to do that. And so, you know, we're going to create the awareness or help create greater awareness with our our documentary and, and through the NIH piece and the university piece, create more well-trained physicians, dentists, and we need better research. I think we will come up with better solutions than, you know, CPAP being the gold standard and 60 to 70% really don't use it. That's, come on, <laughs> we got a problem. If that's the best and most people can't use it, then maybe that's not the best thing. And so I think we have bright minds that when they apply themselves and universities can be helpful. So given the money and resources they have, they can move the needle on, on creating better diagnoses and, and better treatments than we have now. So. It's an exciting time for us to be in this field together. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, and you're, you're coming at it from every angle. Nothing seems to be untouched at the moment. So I, I love that. And I, I would love to come back here in a year and we'll, we'll do that update, you know, conversation. And hopefully we work together a lot between now and then to help carry this forward. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to add before we wrap up? I think that's I think that's it. We covered most of it. Our website has videos and more information. Um, but yeah, if you can get on there and share your story, add your voice, you know, you would really be helping move the needle. Absolutely. So we will we'll make sure that's in the show notes. And Victor, did you want to add anything? Uh, no, it's a great platform. What you're doing in terms of bringing in uh many different people to speak on such a variety of topics to educate professionals and inspire their greater learning and interest is invaluable. And, uh, and your consistency since what 2019 is flat out amazing. 
and 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 you you found a way to express you know something that wasn't a bright spot in your life with respect to your health and that with your children and you turned it into a positive um you know we applaud you and uh we're we're, we're running alongside you Howard. thank you i appreciate that you know it's, i tell everyone i went to look for the podcast assuming it was out there <laughs> When I realized it wasn't, I was like in true Holly fashion. I was like, oh, all right, we got to create this because if I'm, if I'm a professional in this space and it was this hard for me, now I have this onus, I feel, to bring this forward, especially to other parents and families and even professionals who want to, you know, who are in the space or want to get into the space. So it's been, you know, really incredible journey. And I tell everyone, I, you know, I get nervous when I get up in front of groups and I speak, but when I sit down and have these conversations on the podcast or I teach, I'm in my element and I, you know, it's like having coffee with a friend and these conversations. I'm like, I used to sit there and be like, I wish I could just be a fly in a wall with some of these conversations. And it was like, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we just do that and put that on the podcast? So here we are. (laughs) So thank you all so much for joining me. Um, Everyone go to airwayrevolution.org. Again, it'll be in the show notes. We'll make sure they have a link to your video and all the things. Um, And I appreciate you you hanging with me and sharing all the incredible things you guys are doing. Thank you, Alec. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 